In a moment, I'm going to uh, introduce uh, Roy. Before I do that, I have a very important announcement to make. I know there's a lot going on in the service today, but a lot's going on. But one thing that's not going on is uh, some of us are not putting our hand to the plow. When we're a family, we're the people of God. And uh, it has come to my attention from Jennifer Ball, who's on uh, staff with us, uh, that we have tremendous needs in the nursery. And uh, that should not be that way because especially if you're a member, we have taken vows to be part of one another. It's not like, well, we can let those folks do it. Now, there's a need for at least, if you'll notice, the last four weeks, first time ever in the history of Redeemer, uh, that we have not been able to do our four-year-old class. That's why your four-year-olds are here today. Okay, so, so here, we got, we got to think this thing through. And so, uh, Jen, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Are you in here, or do you happen to not be able to be in here because there's not enough volunteers? There she is. See that lovely lady in the back? Raise your hand. Now, now stay, 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 stay. Okay. Now, my wife would hate me if I did this to her. I'm sorry, Jen. Jen, is, are you going to be up here at the front? Okay, all we need is 17 volunteers. We have like 400-something members. 17, that's it. And uh, college students help. And I appreciate that. You college has been incredible. Now, it also means elders and deacons. Men. We need men, right? Is that what you told me? And uh, so if you have not, if you find yourself not really participating that much in the body of Christ, you're not healthy. I, I don't know how to say it. You're not really healthy because it's together we feed upon one another as we feed upon Christ. And so you don't want to be the fingers chopped off sitting over there on the table writing. So every man in here, every woman in here, we need to be, uh, everybody here should be taking help take care of nursery. If we all do that, it's like once every, what, eight or nine weeks. So Jen, you're going to be up front, right? So we'll see at least 34 people. We'll double that number. Okay, now... Uh, I have a good friend of mine named Roy. Uh, Roy is uh, uh, the RUF campus minister at uh, the University, uh, I mean, Alabama A&M. For y'all that don't know RUF, RUF is Reform University Fellowship. Uh, our denomination is about 40 years old, very committed to the historic Christian faith, the uh, Reformed faith. Uh, when I started RUF, I did RUF at uh, Mississippi State and at Vanderbilt. We were on 10 campuses. And now we're on about 150. And uh, so uh, Roy grew up, Roy Hubbard grew up in New Orleans, uh, New Orleans. And uh, he uh, went to LSU. He's an LSU Tiger, as I've already said. And uh, he got involved with RUF there through a, a, a gentleman named Keith Berger. I know Keith. Keith's a good man. And so uh, over the process... Uh, of being involved with RUF, the Lord called him into the ministry. Uh, you went to Reform Seminary in, in Jackson, Mississippi, is that right? Uh, he's married to, to Emily. He has uh, three children, uh, Clive and Jonas and Iris. And he's got uh, another one on the way. And his uh, lovely wife, Emily, is, is with us. I knew Emily when she was about two years old, actually, at Mississippi State. She uh, grew up in Mississippi. So, uh, Roy, we love you, brother. I've enjoyed being with you this weekend. We look forward to hearing from you. Should be easier to preach this morning after the game yesterday, so um, <laughs> glad, 
Glad something worked out for me. Um, <laughs> but if you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Zechariah 3, um, verse 1 through 7, we'll be looking at this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, it's in the bulletin, so you can look down at your bulletins. But um, it is always good to be with God's people, to worship with, with God's people. Um, and as an RUF campus minister, I get to do that a lot, um, to travel and preach um, and to see the work that God is doing in other places. Um, and so thank you so much for allowing us to be here this weekend and to, for me to bring God's word to you all this morning. So, um, but this morning we'll be looking at Zechariah 3. And as always, this is God's good and holy word. It stands over us. It is for our good. So therefore, let us give our attention to it. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Let me pray for us and pray for our time this morning. Um, Our God and our Father, uh, we thank you again, that you have not left us in the dark. Um, That even though creation screams of your glory, that creation tells us of who you are, um, it is not enough for us to understand you, to know you, to see you. And so we do thank you for your word this morning. We do thank you that it proclaims your son, Jesus We do thank you that it proclaims salvation and life and hope for us. And we ask that even now that you, Father, would be with us, that you would send your spirit, that you would be our teacher. For we, your people, we do not need to hear from a man. We need to hear from you. And so we ask that you would be gracious and you would be so kind as to speak to us and to use even me, a sinner, to do that. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I think think we all have uh, moments in our lives where we think back and we go, what in the world was I thinking Why in the world would I think something like that? I have several of those moments. Um, One I want to share with you this morning is the day when I was about seven or maybe eight years old. 
um, that I decided that I was called to be a bully. Um, and so I was going to make a career out of being a bully. Um, it just seemed like an easy way to get money. Um, and so I was called to be a bully. And this one day, my younger brother and I, we were going to a park, and I decided to test out this new calling that, that I had on my life. And um, there were two kids swinging at this park, and my younger brother's with me this whole time. And, you know, I was just like, hey, let's go over and just, just take the swing from these guys. Um, my younger brother, he was the voice of reason. He was saying, no, we'll just wait till they're done swinging, and after they're done, we'll play. And so he was just like, we'll just wait, just wait until they're done. And I decided, you know, that I'd be civil about it. I would just go over and ask one of the kids if I could have their swing. Um, and I said, hey, you know, give up your swing. And of course, <laughs> of course, no kid is going to give up their swing. Um, and the kid told me no. And so I threatened him and I said, hey, if you don't give, me, give up your swing, I'm going to push you off the swing and take it from you. Um, and so the kid's just like, no, I'm not giving up my swing. Um, and so I ended up pushing this kid off the swing and started to swing. And it was probably maybe five seconds into enjoying my swing. Um, the kid on the swing next to me was just saying, hey, you know, I saw what you did to this other kid. You know, I want to see you try that with me. Um, and so I was just this, I'm called to be a bully. So um, I'm going to show all these guys that who's the boss around here. And so um, I remember, you know, getting off the swing and taking maybe two steps towards this guy. And um, he had already gotten off the swing and probably punched me like three times before I realized what had happened. Um, and this kid, I mean, he just, he just destroyed me, to be honest with you. Like, he, he owned me in this park. He beat me up. And so, you know, I just dusted myself up off and um, was just like, hey, you know, let's, let's go home. Young, I mean, told it to my younger brother. Let's just, let's just leave. Let's leave this park because we don't need to be here. This is a, this is a merciless place. Um, and, and my younger brother, of course, he was mad at the whole time. But, you know, as we're leaving this park, to add insult to injury, this kid, I mean, he just decided he wasn't done with me. And I can't make this up. Like, this guy started throwing oranges at me. I don't know where he got oranges from, but he started throwing oranges at me. And so it was, it was humiliating. It was humbling. Um, and, you know, of course, if you, are, if you have siblings, um, one of the things that you always try to tell your siblings to do is to not tell anybody about embarrassing incidents like getting beat up, beaten up at the park. And, um, and, you know, I made this, you know, this vow with my brother or this promise saying that if, if you didn't tell anybody about the incident that happened today, you know, I'll be your pers personal servant for the rest of my life. Um, and so don't tell the karate, our karate teacher, don't tell mom, don't tell our older brothers, older sister, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. Um, and that lasts for maybe two days. Um, but then he ended up telling everybody, and it was humiliating. Um, it was horrifying. And as I tell that story, um, I wish I could tell you that that was the worst thing that I've done. I wish I could tell you that being a bully was the worst thing I've done, that that was the worst form of sin that I've committed. And sadly, it is not. There are some of you who are here this morning that you hear that story and it's child's play to some of the things that you have done. 
that some of the things that you have said, that some of the things that you have thought about people who love you, that some of the things that you've even done to those people, that when you think about it, it makes you realize that you are really a horrible person. And for those of you who may be here this morning who, who say, I've never done anything that stupid. How could he think about being a bully? Then I pose that question to you. That what is the thing that you hope that the people in this church never find out about you? As the people of Redeemer knew what I was really like, they would run from me. And especially as I think about my own life and wanting to bully and what bullying has led kids to do in light of today's day and age, I am, I am deeply grieved that I even considered that. And for all of us, I think we know that feeling. I think we know what it is like to know that we deserve God's judgment, that our sins deserve God's punishment, that you and I, in some extent, to some extent, know what it is like to be in the presence of God as Joshua, this high priest, stands before God in filthy garments. But what we see in this passage, and I I want y'all to see from this passage, is that this passage proclaims to us the gospel. That it proclaims to us the message that God, he does deal with our sin. That God is welcoming us unto himself. That God is making us right. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to look at it in light of these three headings. The first, that we see the gospel, it addresses our sin. The secondly, the gospel addresses our righteousness. And then finally, the gospel addresses our works. So the gospel addresses our sin. The gospel addresses our righteousness. The gospel addresses our works. The gospel addresses our sin. If you know anything about the context of this passage, I'll be very brief. Um, but the people of God have just come out of exile They were punished. They were judged because of their sins. They were supposed to be God's chosen people, supposed to be the witness to the world, his witness to the world. And what they decided along the way is we're not going to follow this God. We're going to bow down to other gods. We're going to bow down to the gods of prosperity. Or we're going to bow down to the gods of whatever it is that we want to bow down to. And in these times of prosperity, In times of peace, that these people often thought, well, we don't need God now because we're doing okay. We're doing fine without him. And God, prophet after prophet, is trying to call his people to himself, trying to call them to repent, to turn from their sins. And you know the history of God's people. They murder some of the prophets. They chase some of them off. They decide we're going to have prophets who teach us only what we want to hear. We're going to have prophets that make us comfortable. 
And all of these prophets are saying, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. God is pronouncing judgment. And it happens just as the true prophets of God said it would happen. That these people are led into slavery. They're led into exile. And it's all because of their sin. Now, in the, God, in, in the book of Zechariah, it is a book about restoration. It is a book about forgiveness. That God gives Zechariah all these visions to show how he is coming to redeem his people. That he's coming to restore them to himself. And as we come to this book, it is interesting that in one of the, the first chapters of this book, that God pronounces that he is going to restore his people. And one of the first things he addresses is worship. And he talks about this high priest. You see that Zechariah sees Joshua the high priest. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament or the role of a high priest, it was one of the three offices ordained by God, prophet, priest, and king. The priest was the office which in particular dealt with atonement for sin. That means if you were coming into worship this morning to worship God, there would have to be someone to atone for your sin in order for you to to be in here. Otherwise, you would be killed on the spot. Otherwise, you would be out of place as you are coming into worship. And this high priest, his role was to sacrifice animals and to atone for the the sins of the people of God. But it's interesting in this passage, when we come to Joshua the high priest, there is a huge problem. And the Jews of old would have gotten this. That their high priest is standing before God and he's supposed to be their representative. And he's standing before God in filthy garments. If you've read Leviticus, I know it's hard to read. But you know that being before God in filthy clothes, it's a problem. It is unacceptable. And these filthy clothes, of course, represent the sins of God's people. That the word used for filthy in the Hebrew can speak to something being defiled by excrement. That he is filthy. That these people that God has called to himself do not deserve his mercy. And what do we see Satan do with that information? We see him take that information and run with it. We see him say, this this is the high priest. This is the one who's going to represent these people before a holy God. That really, he's going to stand and make things right. And what's ironic about this is that we read in Scripture, y'all, of Satan being the father of lies. But do you know when he is actually most truthful? It's when he's talking about the sins of the people of God. That he's saying, look at the evidence. It's right before you, God. These people do not deserve mercy. And of course, that is the case with all of us. The Spurgeon 
writes this in commenting on this passage. That he says, truly, dear friends, if Satan wants to accuse us, any page of our history, any hour of any day will furnish him material for his charges. Yesterday, you were impatient. The day before, you were proud. Another day, you were slothful. And on another, angry. Oh, what a den of unclean birds the human heart is. If the old accuser wants reasons for accusation, he may indeed find as many as he wills and continue to accuse as long as ever he pleases, for we are altogether an unclean thing. That we know this, that if we are honest, we are sinners. That if we are honest, we know that we have failed to keep God's law. And Satan does have a case against us. But what is beautiful about this passage is that you see the gospel proclaimed, as I've said before, that you see Jesus himself fighting for his people. That in verse 2, we're told that the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And if you were in John Larson's class this morning, we are talking about the Trinity. The one of the things you heard him say was that any time in the Old Testament that you see this figure, the angel of the Lord, it is a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. It is a Christ himself before he actually took on flesh showing up in the Old Testament. And that's what you see here. You see Jesus Say to Satan, shut up. That even as Satan is railing all these charges against the people of God, that Jesus is putting him in his place. The Lord rebuke you. Has he not chosen Jerusalem? His judgment not already fallen on his people. And scripture makes this case, that the reason that anybody is forgiven any sin even these Old Testament Jews, they look forward to the promises is because of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason any of us are forgiven anything. That by faith in Jesus Christ, you can really know for certain because God's word says it, not because I'm saying it, that your sins are forgiven, that your sins are paid for, that they really have been dealt with. And it is good news. There's further application to that. Because there are some of you who are here this morning and you still feel great grief and great hurt and great sorrow over things that you have done yesterday, last week, last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 and so on and so forth. And what you need to hear this morning is that the gospel is for you. That Christ's death really and truly is for you. That it really has paid for your sin. There are some of you who are here this morning 
And whenever someone points out a weakness or shortcoming of you, you get incredibly defensive. And what you need to hear is the gospel is for you. It really is for you, and you need it. There are some of you who, like me, you are far gracious to other people than you are to yourself, probably because you think you're better and you need less leeway. And when you fall into sin, what you need to hear is that the gospel is for you. It really is for you, and you need it. There are some of you who are here this morning, and you don't know where you stand with God. That you, it may be the case that you have to believe the gospel for the first time. And what I want you to hear is that the gospel is for you. That Christ's words are, I came not to call the righteous, not that any of us are anyway. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That Jesus really came for you. That the gospel really is for you. So that's the first point, that the gospel addresses our sin. Secondly, the gospel addresses our righteousness. And here's what I mean by the gospel addressing our righteousness. I mean it in this way. That your basis, your standing before a holy God is addressed in the gospel. Because here is the common error that most Christians make, is that we've heard that story our whole lives. Yeah, Jesus died for us. Yeah, I know that. And now that God has done his part, we think, okay, let me do my part. And your basis for standing before God becomes dependent on how faithful you are, or how consistent you are, or how devoted you are, how zealous you are. And what I want you to see is that that in order to be righteous, not by your standards, but by God's standards, that you would have had to have been perfect from the get-go. That Jesus' death and atonement you would need And so to think that now that Jesus has done his part, now you do yours, is foolish because, one, you still struggle with sin. You still do not get it right, even as a Christian. And so you're left with this need of having a perfect righteousness. You're left with this need to have a basis for standing before God. And in this passage what we see is that God addresses that need for us. That if you notice in verse 3, that it says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. That is God dealing with his sin, the people's sin. But don't miss the clause that follows because that is equally important. That God says, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. That the whole point of that is that God himself gives the people of God, through the intercession of Joshua the high priest, the perfect righteousness that they need. That God himself says, 
I'm going to give you the robe that you need to wear. I'm going to give you the garments that you need to wear. That is this picture of what we have in Christ, believers. That when Jesus dies, and well, when Jesus in his earthly ministry comes, he lives a perfect life, not only because he's the son of God, but he lives a perfect life because you and I, we need that. That there's this exchange that takes place through faith in Jesus, that he takes your sin and the judgment your sin deserves and gives you his righteousness. Which means this, you are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are God's child through faith in Christ. You are given a perfect righteousness. And for these Jews, when they saw this in Zechariah comments, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. The whole point of that is that it is going back to the Levitical priesthood garment and attire. That this turban that he put on his head had this, this nameplate on it that said, holiness unto the Lord. That this high priest has been set apart by God for his purposes. And this high priest has the right to be in the presence of God. And for us as God's people, through faith in Christ, you have a right to be in the presence of God. And it's not because you've read your Bible every day this year. It's not because you've been faithful in prayer. It's not because you've kept yourself from some sin. It's not because you avoided your besetting sin this week. But it's because of Jesus that you really can go to God and be heard. That the greater application of that is that if you have truly trusted in Christ, there is not a moment in your existence where you can say that God is your enemy. That if you have trusted in Christ, there is not a moment in your existence where you can say, God hates me. Because it's not true. That God has set his love upon you in Christ. That doesn't mean that you can live any way that you want, that you can sin as you please. But it does mean that there is not a moment in your existence where God is against you. And you should take delight in that. That God loves you not on the basis of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And that is secure, and that is settled, and that is finished. That is unchangeable. That your righteousness before God does not change because of Jesus. The gospel addresses our righteousness. And lastly, the gospel addresses our works. It addresses what we do. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. That it says, the angel of the, And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways 
and keep my charge, and you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. And what I want you to notice is that God deals with the sin of Joshua and the people. God gives them a perfect righteousness. And then God tells them how to live. And then God says, because I have made you this, because I have made you holy, now be holy. That what you're seeing is God is now calling them to action. That he's not saying that first clean yourselves up and then I'll accept you because we can't. That he's not saying do this good deed for me and then you will be my son and you will be my daughter because you can't. But God first deals with this sin and his righteousness and then says do this. Be what I've made you. This is the purpose that I've made you. That you are to represent this people. That you are to walk before me holy and blameless. That you are to live for me. And it's a, a word to us, definitely, that, that faith in Christ, that faith in God, is not just about what we know. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just being able to communicate what the Bible teaches, but it really takes root and hold in our lives. It affects the way you talk to your classmates. It affects the way you relate to your wife and your children. It affects the way you talk to the fast food workers. It affects the way you talk to janitors. It changes everything. That the gospel addresses what you do. It addresses what you think and what you say. That is not just a head knowledge thing. That it reflects itself in real and tangible ways. And so if you are here this morning and you have done something that is deemed honorable and noble, even by godly people, then I want you to ask this question of your heart. Why did I do that? Is it because I want to merit God's favor? Or is it because I know I already have God's favor? So for example... When tithes and offerings were given, why did you give? Why are you here this morning? Why is it that you are faithful to your wife or your husband? Why is that? And it may be the case that the God of all has actually taken root in your life. It may be the case that the God of all, through Christ, has done a good work in order to make you respond to him. That our good works should be a means of assurance for us. That 
the kingdom of heaven really has taken root in our lives, that we really do believe this Jesus stuff, that this gospel is real, that it really does change us and make us more like Christ. And Joshua is told that if he walks in God's ways and keeps God's charge, that he will rule God's house and have charge over his courts and he will have access freely into the presence of God. And as you've heard it said in this service already, that this high priest Joshua points us to the greater high priest, and that is Jesus. That God, through Christ, is bringing us unto himself, into his presence, for the purpose of making us more like him. For the purpose of making him known. And the gospel addresses what we do on a day-to-day basis. So the gospel addresses our sin, the gospel addresses our righteousness, and the gospel addresses our works. And it is my prayer this morning for us all that we as the people of God, that we would believe the gospel, be it for the first time, or for the millionth time. Let's pray. Our God and King, again, we acknowledge um, that we, we are unworthy of your love and your grace and your mercy, and yet uh, you remember us in our low estate. Uh, we thank you so much for Jesus, your Son, um, for, for apart from him, we have no hope. We thank you for uh, being a God who doesn't leave us to our sin and to perish in it, but being a God who draws us to himself, who helps us to see him, who helps us to know him and to long for what he longs after. And God, we ask for hearts that would be uh, soft. We ask for hearts of flesh that will respond to Jesus. Uh, We ask for seeing eyes and hearing ears, believing hearts, that when your word is proclaimed, uh, we take delight in it that it takes root in our lives, that people around us know that there is something different about us, that we have met with God and God is with us. We ask forgiveness for the ways that we forget the gospel, for the ways that we do not acknowledge you in all our thoughts and speech and actions. But we ask that you would continue to draw us unto yourself. 
Continue to give us hope. Continue to quiet our hearts and quiet our troubled consciences and help us to see that we can come to you through Christ and find grace and mercy. Uh, Please be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that all those who are helping with communion come forth.